0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. you want to hear some good news? Good. The good news is that God loves you, and He really does have a marvelous plan for your life. That's good news because we live in a weird, messed up, chaotic world. We live in a world where friends sometimes are hard to find, money sometimes tight. You say, sometimes. You know, we live in a world where there's just evil stuff going on. But I want to tell you that the God of yesterday is the same God of today and he'll be the same tomorrow. The Bible says that God does love us. And it's not the kind of love that's conditional either. It's not a love that is, I will love you if you perform. I will love you if you love me. I will love you if you're good. He says, I'm going to love you even if you're the scum of the earth. I'm going to love you even if you curse my name. Now that is a, a God that is unheard of. But his love has compelled him to do something. What he has done is take care of the bad news. The bad news is this, that you cannot be good enough to know God. The Bible says that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags to him. That means that you and I will never balance the scales. When we look at all of the stuff that we've done against God, which is called sin, no matter how many good things we do to try to even the scales, we're just not going to be able to do enough. If you ask somebody, why do you think God would let you into heaven? Most of their, a lot of people's answer would be, well, I, th- I think I've been good enough. But the Bible says that one sin separates us from God. And no matter how much we do after that, we can't make the scales balance. But the Bible says it's by grace. You know what grace is? It's undeserved favor. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. The Bible says it's by grace that we are saved. We are rescued. It is by grace that we are rescued by faith. It's our faith. And that faith is not just believing in God. It's more than just a head knowledge. It's, a, it's actually the word faith is a, is a verb. It's a trust. It's saying, you know what, Jesus? I recognize that, that you are my only hope and so I trust in you and it's not something necessarily that you can you can you can do it's something that's of the heart it's by grace that you're saved through faith not of works why because if we could be saved by works we would never run to God I want to ask you something this morning I felt so compelled when I woke up to start the service by saying I have good news for you And you know usually when God does that it's because somebody is here today because he woke you up and he brought you here and sat you in that seat and that's exactly what you need. You need to hear that God loves you and you need to hear that you're you're not able to be good enough to make right with God. And you need to hear that God's offer to you is totally and completely free to you but it cost him everything. So in this place this morning I wonder which one of you is the one that God thought of when he woke me up this morning and said, tell the people how they can know me. Which one of you is it? At the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to simply be, I, say, I don't want to say it that way, I'm going to ask you to be, uh, to be so convinced that you're willing to say, I'm the one. I'm the one that God had in mind this morning. So think about that, if you will, through the message today. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm chapter 142. So um, the message today is what to do in a cave. Now, you might, you might find that a little odd because most of you go to caves on purpose if you go. So, for instance, you might go to Mariana Caverns, and I have a great story about Mariana Caverns that I probably can't tell in this crowd, but trust me when I tell you, it's phenomenal. Now you want to hear it, don't you? I'm not going to throw my dad under the bus like that, but I'm just saying it involves him, and it's stinking hilarious. Afterwards, if you ask me, I'll probably throw him under the bus, but not right now. Um, but, But me and my family were going to go to a cave. We were going to go to Carlsbad Caverns, uh, but we chose to go somewhere else. And, but, but the reason we go to caves now is because we want to explore and we want to say, oh, this is cool. We want to look at the stalactites and the stalagmites and the stalagmites and the, all the other ites that are in there, termites and parasites, whatever. We, we want to go in and we want to see how cool it is. But in biblical times, you didn't go into a cave because you wanted to explore and be cool. You usually went into a cave because you were running, because you were trying to hide because somebody was trying to kill you. Now, you'd go into it and sometimes and you know, stay just inside to rest and to stay out of the shelter. But if you went deep into the cave, it wasn't because you wanted to be there. It was because you had to be there. Is there anybody in the house today who either you're in a cave right now, or you're on your way, or you're looking for one? That's right. Is there anybody in the house today who's, man, Just there's something going on in your life that you just want to get away, and you want to find shelter, and you want protection? You know, if if that's not you today, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is you're not in a cave. The bad news is just hold on, because one day you will be in there. I found myself in caves before. You probably would say, I've found yourself in caves before. So the obvious question is, what do you do in a cave? What do you do? Because you're there, because you're, you've got somebody hot behind you. You've got somebody that's trying to hurt you. So once you're there, what do you, and think about it, a cave is a dead end. There's no opening to a cave except for the opening that you came through, and that's where the enemy is. You, you, you go in, and you're going basically deeper and darker and colder and wetter and more and more desperate the farther in you go. Well, why was David in a cave? Psalm 142 is a maskul of David. Now, maskul is a word that means a literary term. Essentially, it means a song. And then it says a, a prayer of David when he was in the cave. Quick note, we'll get this to the end, but... He didn't actually write this in the cave. Think about it. He couldn't see to write. Didn't have his stuff to write with. He actually wrote this after the fact, recalling the cave. But that's for the end. But, but this was his experience in a cave. And the question is, why was he in the cave? Well, he was in the cave because he was righteous and the king was not. You have to write it down and go back. I'll cover the story quickly. But in 1 Samuel 22 and 1 Samuel 24... David is in two separate caves. One cave is in Adullam, and the other cave is a place called En Gedi. Both times that he was in the cave was because he was running for his life, because a man by the name of King Saul was trying to kill him. Now, who was King Saul, and why was he trying to kill him? Well, if you'll remember, the people of God, the Israelites, wanted a king. They cried out to God, We want to be like all the other nations, and we want our own king. And God said, you don't need a king, you have me. That's a whole other sermon in itself. Folks, we sometimes want an earthly king to rule over us when we've got the king of kings who we can serve just fine. But anyways, so they cried out for a king and God said, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. You ever done that as a dad? You want want the truth? You, You can't handle the truth, but I'll give you the truth, right? I mean, that's essentially what God was doing. I'll give you a king. And he gave him King Saul. Now, King Saul was a strong, good-looking, just this, this beast of a man. And he was, he was not a bad guy, but he wasn't a righteous guy. He wasn't, he wasn't necessarily evil, but he didn't have a heart that followed after God. And so he was just kind of there as the leader. And he had some good things, and he had some not-so-good things. Well there came this, this apex in, their, in their, his time as king where the Israelites were on one side and these people called the Philistines were on the other side. And between the two, there was this valley. And every single day, this one Philistine named Goliath would come out and he would challenge the king of Israel. He would say, send me one person and whichever one of us wins, the rest of the army will bow. And that was actually a common way of fighting. So every day the Philistine would come out, send me one, send me one. And King Saul, even in all of his strength, cowered because according to the Bible, this Philistine was a literal giant. He was somewhere around nine foot tall. He was like uh, 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 Sammy Pipkins, like on steroids, right? Or, Or no, think Dennis Rodman, on steroids. That's even better. I mean, he was just giant of a man. He had this huge spear. He had this, this coat of armor. And, and frankly, the king was afraid. But you see, in this whole process, it was, it was day in and day out. In this whole process, the Israelites were becoming smaller and smaller. Their courage was getting smaller and smaller. The Philistines were getting more and more arrogant. In fact, the, the, it was coming to a head when this little boy came To see his brothers who were soldiers in kings in the king's army and this little boy came I say little boy he wasn't little he was a he was probably a teenager he came and he said uh, I brought food from father to give to my brothers and then the Philistine came out while he was there and David said well who's gonna go fight him y'all remember the story right who's gonna fight him and basically everybody goes there's nobody strong enough And there was a righteous indignation inside of David. Here's what he said. He said, how dare you let this Philistine defame the name of the Lord? He said, I'll fight him. Everybody's like, what, you'll fight him? I'll fight him. So he went into the fitting room, to the armor tent, and he got all this armor on. He was like, I can't fight in this. So he took it all off, and he went and he found five stones and one uh, sling. He probably had the sling with him. He found five stones... Just a little side note, we only need one stone a lot of times, but we better get five. Just saying, right? He took these five stones and he went out and he confronted this giant. And as you know the story, as how the story goes, he slung the the rock, hit him square between the eyes and he went over, cut off his head. Everybody, you know, he's the victor. That was the moment at which the seed of jealousy for for King uh, Saul was planted. Saul then had David stay with him. David ministered to Saul when Saul was was afflicted by by, uh, uh, he, the Bible talk calls it being tormented by evil. But basically, he was having these night terrors and he was had this, these panic attacks and David would come in and play the harp and the music would soothe him. And this, just, just this whole story of David being kind, David being gracious, David then, though, is, is, is rising up in the ranks because of his courage and because of his righteousness. And it got to where the people praised David more than they praised King Saul. King Saul couldn't handle it. In fact, they were saying this phrase, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And in a jealous fit of rage, Saul began to pursue David. So that's the backdrop to why he was in the cave. He had done nothing wrong. He had been honorable. He had been righteous. And yet he found himself in a cave with the king and all of his people chasing after him. He gets into this cave... And here is what he does. Now, let me stop for just a moment and ask you. If you're in a cave, what are you going to do about it? If you find yourself in a figurative cave, what are you going to do about it? And and, and I don't say that with an accusation. I'm seriously asking, what are you going to do about it? Because you're in a cave. And guess what? A cave only gets darker. A cave only gets colder. A cave only gets lonelier. So you got to do something. Here's what David did. In chapter, uh, Psalm 142, verses 1 and following, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before Him. Before Him, I tell all of my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare from me. Look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge, no one cares for me. I cry to you, O Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I might praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. He begins by saying, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. You know, one of the things that we may want to get better at is crying aloud to the Lord. Here's a really cool part. When you're in a cave, you're alone. It's a great place to cry aloud to. Now you say, well, why cry aloud? And do you really literally mean cry aloud? Yes. When David says, I cry aloud, he wasn't praying to himself. And he wasn't praying in his head. He was crying aloud. Now I want you to think of the moment when you're in this cave and it's dark and it's damp and you're crying aloud. What's it doing? It's echoing. Your voice is being magnified. You know, scientists have, I say scientists, there have been studies that have done that say when when we read out loud it actually helps with comprehension and it helps with, with all kinds of, of other positive things. And I believe the same thing is true with praying. When we pray out loud, there's something unique about it. In fact, that's probably the most um, honest form of communication with God that we could possibly have because we're saying out loud what it is that we're just normally just saying in our heart. Just by way of hands, how many of y'all have ever prayed out loud? Anybody? How many of y'all have have prayed out loud a non-King James prayer? Right? I just want to tell you, God doesn't speak King James anymore. Here's what I mean by that. If your prayers are, O Lord, Thou art mighty, Thou art the best in the heaveneth and all of the other thingeth, God doesn't hear those prayers so much. He doesn't speak King James. Here's Here's why. He doesn't want you just to say words. He wants you to bear your soul. He wants you to literally cry out to him as if you were face-to-face with him. This is one of the things that I found in my sabbatical. It, it was a refreshing time. As I was walking through the mountains in Montana, I found myself praying out loud. And I found myself laughing in my prayers because I heard what I actually said and how silly it was. You ever done that? Like literally, Lord, and you just, I'm so dumb. I mean, I, mean, I was having this, I was having, this, if, if you were looking at me, you'd have thought I was, you'd have thought I needed medicine. I mean, I was having this time, of course, I was partly trying to breathe as well, because I was hiking up these mountains, and there was something cathartic, but something truly satisfying about crying out loud. So, here's Here's the thought. If you find yourself in a cave and you're complaining about it, maybe the cave is a gift and not a curse. Maybe the cave is an opportunity for you to experience the freedom of crying out loud to God because every other circumstance in your life doesn't allow you so much to do that. Because, you know, we are very prideful. We do like to keep it together, right? We do, we do like to be polished and we like to make sure that everybody thinks all is good. When you're in a cave, man, you don't care. You let it all hang out. You're like, God, 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 God. When you're in a cave, man, you're desperate, so you say whatever you need to say. By the way, God is big enough to handle whatever it is you need to say. If you're feeling angry at God, do not hold that in and pretend like you're not. God, I'm not happy with you. Okay, tell me more. I'm angry. Okay, tell me more. Why? Well, I'm angry because you did this, and I'm angry because you did this, and I'm angry because you promised this. Well, time out. Did I promise you that? See, when we, have, when we have this out loud prayer, those kinds of things happen. We don't necessarily hear the audible voice of God, although it has happened to people in the past. I don't think it's ever happened to me. But, I mean, God is God, right? So, As we're having this conversation out loud, God is able to to get to the meat of what is going on. Here's the truth of the matter. When we find ourselves pursued, even when we're righteous and we're pursued by someone evil, there's still something inside of us that God will refine in the midst of that process. That might be worth writing down. What I'm saying is every physical human interaction that is, that is not right is a picture of our relationship with God. Happens all the time in parenting, doesn't it? I told you, don't you ever do that. I... And as you're doing this, God is going like this, right? And as you're saying these words to your child, God is saying the exact same words to you, only you're like, God, can you give me a minute? I'm working with my kid here. And God goes, no, no, I've been trying to tell you this for a long time. You ever had that happen? You ever been scolding someone else, a friend, a relative, whatever? And as you're doing that, God is going, oh, he who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. Hmm? You ever been dealing with somebody and, 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 and you're really more judgmental than you really should be? And God goes, oh, you uh, don't see the plank in your own eye, but you're looking at their speck. Right? Listen, every time we have an interaction with another human, it's it's God taking the opportunity to refine us and to mold us and to shape us. So when you're in the cave, cry out loud to him. Lift up your voice to the Lord for mercy. Now, what's the difference in grace and mercy? Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. But mercy's different. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. It's this, it's this raw admission of, God, I'm pond scum. God, I, I, I'm really not worthy. You know, I, I kind of I walk a line in, in our culture today because on the one hand, there should be some confidence and there should be some, you know, recognizing our purpose and our place in Christ Jesus. But on the other hand, man, the Bible says that, that we're sinners, the Bible says that our, in our heart there's nothing good unless God does it. There, there's no one righteous, no, not even one. So I have to try to stay right here in the middle going, Lord, I am pawn scum, but your goodness extends to me in so many ways, and I am your child. I don't deserve to be your child, but because of your rich mercy, you have given me favor. And it's never, it's never forgetting that I am who I am because God is who He is. Does that make sense? When you're in a cave, see, some of these things can come out and they can, they can become alive to you in ways that you could never have when you're in the theme park. You're not going to hear God's voice as loudly in a theme park as you are in a cave because there's so many distractions. That's why it's called an amusement park. When you're in a cave... It's you and God. So it says, I lift up my voice. I pour out my complaint before him. Y'all get ready for this. Before him, I tell my trouble. Okay? You know where I'm going with this, right? I lift up my complaint. To him, I pour out my trouble. Why is it that we pour out our complaint on social media far more than we pour out our complaint to God? Amen? Amen? You ever notice that? People have something done to them, something's wrong, some, some issue or something. First thing they do, they get on Facebook, "Oh, the world's so bad, treating me this, da." And we send it out there. And what are we looking for? We're looking for comfort. We're looking for somebody to, to understand. We're looking for, for someone to soothe it and to make it better. And then if we don't get what we want, it puts us deeper into the cave, doesn't it? Can I tell you something? Again, it's a reflection of what's going on in our heart. The reason we go to social media with our complaint instead of or before we go to the Lord is because we want people to validate us and because we want people to fix what's going on and because we want people to say, oh, it's not that bad, when in reality only Jesus can do that. We're essentially fishing for compliments because there's an insecurity and there's an unstableness going on that only Jesus can fill. And I got to tell you, only Jesus can fill it. Amen? Now, look, I'm not telling you don't ever complain on Facebook. I'm just saying don't let that be your source of complaint instead of Jesus being your source of complaint. You say, well, complaint. Does he really want me to complain? Well, you know, I, I was thinking through this all week and... I'm not sure if this fits or not, so I'm going to throw it out there. But there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who complain and there are people who don't. Which one are you? Maybe this is just a side note, okay? Folks, listen. If you're a complainer, just just stop it. Amen. Stop it. You ever see that show? You ever see that clip? $5 I will help you for $5. It'll take five minutes. No refunds, no exchanges. I don't, I don't cut the rate. person comes in the office and says, hey, this is my problem. He goes, okay, okay I'm, I'm going to say two, you, two words to you, and it's going to fix everything. Stop it. And then the end of it is, stop it, or I'm going to bury you alive in a box. But you have to see the whole thing to understand that. <laughs> That's Bob Hope, I believe it is. But seriously, if you're a complainer, stop it. Right? Now, I could go on, but everybody knows. But that that's true. You want to know why? Because complaining doesn't help anything. If you're going to complain, complain to God. Seriously. If you're going to complain, complain to God because He is the only one that cares. Is that harsh? Is that cold? I just... I, I, I just I, the more I'm around people, the more I realize that we complain about everything. Man, this light's too long. Man, that car is going too slow. That car's going too fast. Man, this hamburger wasn't good enough. It wasn't cold. It wasn't round. It was kind of like oblong. Man, they sure didn't show it looking like that on the pictures. Man, it's too big. Or it's too small. I mean, literally, you can complain about every single thing. You know what the, you know what the, the opposite of complaining is? Being thankful. Can I get a witness? A little too close to home? Be thankful. The next time you want to complain about something, again, this is not what this text is saying, but I just want to tell you, the next time you want to complain, simply choose to be thankful. I have a car. This light gives me a chance to rest. This burger's not round, so maybe I've got a little extra beef in there. My waitress is slow, but maybe, maybe it's so that I can slow down. This ketchup isn't the good ketchup, but maybe I'm just too picky. Be thankful. I promise you everybody will like you more and you will like yourself more. Okay, let's keep going. Turn to the person next to you and just say, stop it. Now, let me say one little thing on that. I told you I was going to move on. You know the problem with complaining? It gets everybody around you complaining too. Have you ever noticed that? It is contagious, it is like a virus. You start complaining, and before long, if you complain long enough, everybody in the elevator is complaining with you. If you're with a bunch of complainers, get out of the elevator and be thankful. My favorite saying is this, it could always be, really could. It really could. All right, so with my complaint, I pour it out before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. And when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. See, there's this, recogni- this recognition in David that, that he's pouring out his heart to God and that God gets it. God understands. God hears. And as he's pouring out his heart to, to God, he's, he's acknowledging that God is his source and his strength. And, he, and as he continues here, he even says, My spirit grows faint, but it is you who know me. It is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare, but, but hidden in that is, but you have good things in store for me. See, it's this fundamental belief in the character and the nature of who God is. Verse 4 says, Look at my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. You know the thing that we desire the most when we're in the cave? We desire companionship. We desire somebody, flesh and blood, to be there, right? You know the thing we need the least when we're in a cave is someone to be there and to fix it so that they are a substitute for the holiness and the perfectness of God. I want you to think about this. There are times when you feel so alone and so desperate that you are angry at God because nobody is there for you, and that is actually a gift from God to say, I want you to know that I am enough. You might be saying to me, Jeff, you're just just talking because you're supposed to say that. No, I'm telling you, I've been in the cave when Jesus showed himself as enough. There's been enough struggle and enough dis. uh, 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 enough difficulty in my life to tell you with with experience to say that there are times when we want somebody and Jesus says, no, I'm going to block off the entrance because until you realize that I am enough, you will always run to someone else to give you the thing that only I can give you. That, in fact, I think is the key to being fulfilled in life is recognizing that Jesus really is enough recognizing that all those other things are nice, but truly, Jesus is enough. He goes on to say, I have no refuge, no one cares for me. Do you know what we also want in a cave? We want refuge. That's why we're there. You know what? what's a refuge? A refuge is a place of safety. A refuge is a place where nobody can get to you. Now, what does the Bible say about Jesus. He is my refuge and he is my fortress. He is a strong tower. Think of it. We are able to, another psalm, we are able to to rest under the shadow and the shelter of his wings. It's this picture of this, this, this father holding his child tight, kind of surrounding and covering the little one who is vulnerable. That is what our father does for us. He says, I cry to you, and I say... He's he's recognizing what he was just saying. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry. I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Again, this is a recognition of his own inability to fix this. By the way, sometimes we find ourselves in a cave... Because we recognize that nothing we do is going to fix the problem. Do you know that David could not have done anything to fix the problem? I mentioned two caves. The first cave was Adullam, the second cave was in Gedi. Now, here's the deal in Gedi was a different story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 24. David goes into this cave to find refuge, but while he's in there, his, his, uh, uh, his, uh, uh, oh, what's the word? Um, persecutor, his, uh, the one who's going after him, the one who's chasing him, huh? Pursuer, yeah, that's right, thank you. The pursuer, uh, King, King Saul, walks into the cave. And so David's in this cave and he hears Saul's voice and he's like, oh no, he's found me. So David goes in, the Bible says to relieve himself. We're not exactly sure what that means. We have some ideas, but he goes in and, and while he's in the cave, David comes in and somehow or another cuts the corner of his robe. David's men are also in the cave. It's a pretty big cave. And, and and his men say, God has delivered him into your hands. Kill him. And David says, I should not have even cut his robe. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. There's a lesson in this, and the lesson is this: when we find ourselves in the cave, our temptation is to fix things under our own strength. And declare our own righteousness. And God often says, No, I'm doing something bigger than just settling this between the two of you. Because really it was not about David and Saul. Think about it. This whole thing was not about David and Saul. It wasn't about Saul's jealousy of David. It was about the entire nation who abandoned the Lord. And for David to fix it, because there was an opportunity... David would have shortchanged all that God was doing. And he would have essentially, um, he would have sabotaged his own kingship. There was a whole lot in what I just said. Can I break that down just a little bit? When we take matters into our own hands, we are essentially saying to God, God, I got this. And God is going, look, you can get that if you want, but you're going to mess it up. Because what I'm doing is bigger than just what you see. Had David just just taken care of Saul and killed him, he would have taken away God's ordaining him as king, and he would have set himself up as king, and the entire nation would have suffered. I want you to write this down in your heart or paper if you have it. Every open door does not mean it's God's will. Just because you can does not mean you should. That make sense? Just because there's an open door, just because there's an opportunity, doesn't mean God is leading you to do it. Just because it seems right, it looks right, um, it, 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 it even might feel right, does not mean that God is saying, this is what I want you to do. In fact, I will tell you again from personal experience that there are things that I thought God was leading me in, and it got right up to the point where I was like, okay, this must be your will. But there was, that, there was that little voice of God saying, nope, I'm not going to let you. I don't want you to go through that door. Interestingly enough, he doesn't close the door. He leaves it open, but he goes, I want you to learn to listen to my voice, not look at doors. Amen? Some of you in this room need that. You're right there, and you're like open. This must be God's will. And God is going, no, I'm just, I'm just seeing if you're willing to listen to me or do what your eyes see." I have found oftentimes that if I don't go through an open door, because I've heard God's voice who said, don't go through that door, stay back, and I'm going to do something different, it always works out to where God shows me that had I gone through that door, there was danger on the other side. God has been given His goodness in the midst of that. So... The next verse I think is beautiful because he says, set me free from my prison. In the New King James, it says this, set my soul free from this prison because that's what it feels like. When you're in a cave, you feel like your soul is in prison. There is a desperateness. There is a brokenness. There is a, there is a, a, a falling on your face and, and that prison is so confining and yet the prayer is, God set my soul free from this prison so that I can be happy. No? What does it say? Look at it. What does it say? Set my soul free from this prison, what? So that I might praise your name. Is the goal of getting out of the cave happiness? Or is it the glory of God? Which might be the reason you're in the cave in the first place. To teach you that. I've found that when happiness is my goal, the glory of God usually is not. But when the glory of God is my goal, happiness automatically shows up. You can have one without the other, but you can have the other without the one. In other words, I I can pursue happiness and never glorify God, but I cannot glorify God and not find happiness. And when I say happiness, let's parse that a little bit. Not just happiness, because happiness seems to be a little maybe emotional. What you find is joy. You know what joy is? It's a deep-rooted satisfaction in who God is so that no no external circumstance can move you or shake you. You want to know where joy comes from? Well, it happens to be one of the nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit, Which, by the way, they're not fruits, it's fruit. Which means it all grows together. Because when God places the Spirit inside of you and when you start to be obedient and yield to Him and you let Him do His thing, which, by the way, the way He does His thing oftentimes is by putting us in a cave. See how that works? This this fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control he doesn't give you love but not joy he doesn't give you peace but not kindness it all grows together now it doesn't necessarily grow this way sometimes it grows this way but the work of god inside of your life that you find when you're in a cave is that he begins to do something inside of you that could never be done in the amusement park Make me free from this prison so I might praise your name. And here's the result. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. This to me is the most beautiful part of this whole text. It's the fact that when God rescues us out of the cave, He changes our prayer and He makes it a song. Your cry of desperation becomes a song of praise. And your song of praise honors God, and it blesses and encourages everybody who hears it. Like I stood up here and I told you, vaguely albeit, but I told you, I've been in the cave and God rescued, and you go, man, that's good. But when we're one-to-one, I might tell you the details of it, and you go, God did that. And it makes you go, yes, if that's the kind of God that He is, I want to serve that kind of God. Listen. Your story is not just some story. Your story is God at work in you. The cave is part of your story. Instead of being angry and instead of being being, uh, 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 resentful, embrace it. God, I'm in this cave. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It does hurt, but God is in the midst of that hurt. And when he brings you out on the other side, you can sing about the goodness of God that you now know. When we were singing this song, This we know, we will see the enemy run, this we know. I was thinking to myself, you know, it's in the cave that we go from what we believe to what we know. Outside of the cave, I believe God is good. Inside of the cave, I know God is good. Outside of the cave, I believe God is strong. Inside of the cave, I know God is strong. Outside of the cave, I believe God delivers. Inside of the cave, I know God delivers. Then we come out and we say, listen world, I need you to know. There is hope and there is peace and there is joy. Hold on to the promises of God. One of the things that I have done a lot of over the last couple of years is bury people. It's the best and worst part of my job. In the last month, we've had seven people die. Now, not all members of the church, some have been just family of church members, but still it hurts the same, right? Seven people. But do you know that That my sadness has an overwhelming joy about it. Let me tell you why. Because Margie Porter, she sat down with me before she died, two weeks, ten days prior. She said, Jeff, I'm ready to meet Jesus. God has been so good to me. And she sat there and she testified. She sang her song of when she was in the cave. I don't know how much you know about that, but she lost her son to an aneurysm while he was at school at 10 years old. For 45 years, she lived with the knowledge of knowing that her son died at 10 years old. You want to talk about a cave? And then her husband died about 15 years ago. It was right as I was coming to the church. You want to talk about hurt and broken, but you know what? She sang about her time in the cave, and every time I heard it, I was blessed. And then Lee Nolan just buried her. Lee Nolan was a, was a standard, she's been here for 50 years, seemed like it anyways. I looked this morning, and I looked right down on the second pew on the left, on the front is where her wheelchair normally sat, and it wasn't there today for the first time in years. But there was this inexplainable joy because she's no longer sitting in a chair just trying to stay coherent. She's in the presence of Almighty God. And just yesterday, Noah Berry... He went in for a procedure, had a heart attack, and then through all the things that they did, had to go on a ventilator, and yesterday when they took him off the vent, he died. But you know what? Noah Barry and I had a unique relationship. Noah was a quirky guy, and he would tell you. You all know Noah. He was your neighbor. Was he quirky? He was quirky. He would tell you, I'm quirky. But every time he would come in, here's what I would see. I would see a man who's trying his best to love Jesus in a fallen, broken world. And Noah was in incredible pain every single day. His back hurt so bad he could barely get up and walk. And you know what God did? God said, Noah, you've had enough. Time to come home. And so when I look at these things, it's this... inexpressible joy in the midst of sorrow because, if I can say it this way, their cave testified of God's goodness, which is where I want to end the service today. Are you in a cave? If you're in a cave right now, what are you doing? Are you crying out to God? Do you trust Him enough to say, God, this is what's going on. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a personal issue, maybe it's a, maybe it's a struggle, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's relational. What I do know is that God is big enough and He hears you. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? I want to invite you to just lay it all out before God. I know that that we don't have enough time this morning for you to do that fully, but I want you to begin the process of crying out to God. If nothing else, simply say to Him the first thing that comes to your heart or your mind. Maybe it is. Maybe you're the one that's, I'm angry at you, God. I feel like you've left me. I feel like you did this. I think you've been unfair. I feel alone. I feel you've abandoned me. Whatever it is, just begin the conversation. Or maybe your heart is just full of joy because you're on the other side of the cave. For you, just take this time to thank Him and to ask Him to turn your prayer into a song. And finally, if you're the one that God thought of this morning, if you're the one that needed to hear the hope of the gospel, Will you believe in Jesus? You don't understand it all. I know. I get it. I don't either. But you know enough. Will you trust Him? Father in heaven, this is our prayer today. That you would move through this place and do something supernatural. God, we believe all that Your Word says about You. We believe that You are a mighty God. We believe that You are a wonderful counselor. We believe that You are a healer. We believe that You are one who sets the captives free. We believe that You are a God who takes away shame. We believe You are a God who meets us in the the muck and in the pit and in the cave. And God, we believe that You love us. So, Father, we come to You now in Jesus' name.